Good morning, everybody. Got people in the room and a lot of you at home. Wanted to say something to our community that's at home. You're welcome back here in our room when you're ready. I know um, we have people in our community getting the vaccine and they're feeling more safe to be here. I can tell you it's hard to see um, from church online, but people are spaced in this room and wearing masks. It's the most beautiful group of masked people you've ever seen. Their singing is muffled, but it sounds beautiful. Um, But uh, we would love to have you back. Uh, In the months to come, really in this next month, we're going to see a lot of new um, guidelines coming from the state of Colorado. Some of those things are being shared. And as a church, we are going to be having more of the old events that we used to have together. And so um, as you're feeling comfortable, we want you to feel welcome coming back to some of these events and joining groups. And so please be listening for uh, those announcements and things that are happening uh, that we're listing on the website because we want to help get our church reconnected as uh, we're moving into just a new, a new phase, what's taking place with the pandemic. A couple other things I want to mention before I start the message. Next Sunday, we're going to be doing baptisms here at Cornerstone. We have a new hot tub. Uh, We figured out the right amount of chemicals to put in that hot tub to make sure that anything that enters the hot tub that's not good dies because there's nothing like being baptized in dirty water. So it will be a safe way to baptize a number of people. At Cornerstone, we baptize people because they've made new steps of faith towards Jesus. So it could be faith in in Jesus for the first time. But we've baptized people before that just represents a change of direction or repentance or movement back to Jesus. And so if something meaningful has taken place, if you've gotten your attention and, and you want something to kind of solidify that and be a mark and a symbol of that repentance, we would love to baptize you. And uh, I can answer questions about that, but I wanted you to know that for next week. And then lastly, for those of you that are a part of our team here at Cornerstone regarding giving, a letter is coming this week. It's a Dream Boulder update. And uh, please read that. It'll give you a little update of where we're at in the project and and timeline and uh, where we are in fundraising. And then in the months to come, we're going to tell you a whole lot more about how the fundraising season is ending Um, There are some more needs along that line, but also construction is finally going to start. So everyone cross their fingers because the city of Boulder is a challenge, but we're almost there. We're almost there. Just in time for everyone to come back, we start the new building, right? All right, I want to tell you about an amazing documentary that it's worth you looking up. It's called Accidental Courtesy, and it's the story of Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a very um, accomplished jazz and blues piano player, but he has taken up a different hobby over the last 30 years, and that is that he befriends people from the KKK and helps move them out of that lifestyle of, hey, you can put the picture up there. What makes it significant is that Daryl Davis is black, And so he is the object of many of these people's hate. But over the years, he has used the powerful gift and tool of friendship to change people's minds regarding hate towards love. In his story, he tells, or in the documentary, he tells the story of his first convert. Davis was in a club playing piano And a white man that was a part of the KKK, actually a high-ranking official, came up and was shocked that a black man could play the piano like that. His curiosity and ignorance led to a conversation that eventually led to a friendship that led to this man repudiating and, and, and leaving the lifestyle that he had been in and repudiating the KKK and his lifestyle of hate and racism. 
And over 30 years, dozens and dozens and dozens of people have been won over to love because of one man's incredible redeeming love and the gift of friendship. He's collected their robes over the years as mementos, uh, reminders that amazing things are possible, that love can overcome. Now, I tell you that, and I'd encourage you to read about Daryl Davis or listen to his TED Talk or watch the documentary, Accidental, Accidental Courtesy, but I tell you that today because the message that we're going to see in 1 John has to do with loving people who hate us. Loving our enemies, that entering into this battle of love and hate, and to actually see being a loving person is a struggle, it is a battle, and it's something that we are all in, but God has invited us into it because it leads to a life of flourishing. See, what John is trying to do, he's trying to present a simple message regarding this is what it means to have a life and a faith that flourishes, but it takes some difficult uh, steps to get there. On the far side of things like forgiveness and love, and laying down your life, and even suffering for someone else is flourishing. And so the letter is beginning to kind of heat up a little bit, but I can tell you this, the tone is the same. John is Grandpa John. He doesn't have a lot of time to mess around. His message is simple, and he keeps saying the same two things to his readers. He talks about who Jesus is, and he talks about who we're meant to be. Now, as you read through the letter, and even this long passage that I'm going to read to us in a moment, it can seem like John is vacillating back and forth between two different ideas. It's almost like he's got ADD, he can't stay focused on a single message, and he's back and forth between two different messages. And these are the messages. The first message is who Jesus is. Not who Jesus was, but who Jesus is. John continues to say, Jesus is divine wisdom. He's the truth of heaven. Remember how the letter starts? The word of life has appeared to us. John says Jesus is the manifest love of God, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, which makes his death and his resurrection life-changing for each one of us. And so over and over and over again, he's talking about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? Not who was Jesus, but who is Jesus? I was reading through Facebook this week, and a friend of mine named Brian Mavis, he's committed right now to redeeming Facebook. It's, you know, we read Facebook, it's just a, it's a, you know, dumpster fire of hate. And he's trying to use it as a tool for people to connect. And so what he does is he posts a question every day and he just asks people to answer it honestly. And his questions are really good. This week, here's the question he posted. He said, what is something that you used to believe but you don't anymore? And what changed your mind? So like 90 people all participated and shared something that answer to that question, something that had changed in their mind. And then he answered the question this way. He said, I used to believe that all religions were the same and all religious leaders were equal. What changed my mind were the graves of those leaders and the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle John is saying Jesus is very, very different. Jesus is. Jesus is. He's alive. He's working. But then the second message, it can seem different. And off track is about you and me. We are his sons and daughters. And just like all the New Testament writers, he likes using that language so that people don't feel like they're on their own. There's always a place for you at God's table. You've been adopted as sons and daughters. We live a life from a place of being full and safe and secure 
not from being empty or insecure, but we are sons and daughters, but that's not the message that was repeated over and over again in the letter of 1 John. The message is because we're sons and daughters, we are to love one another. Jesus is alive, working, advocating for us. We are to love. Love the family of God and even love our enemy. Now, why is it that he's joining these two things together? Could it be that it's impossible to have the type of relationship with Jesus that leads to flourishing without dealing with the dark side of our heart, the dark side of unforgiveness and bitterness and judgment and prejudice? And could it be that it's actually impossible to be the type of person who's willing to lay down their life for another one to love at that level unless they first receive that kind of love from someone else? See, John would be one of the first to say, you can only give away what you first receive. And so he's joining these two things. And so I'm going to read a long passage. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, and then I'm going to read through the first few verses of chapter 4. He's going to talk about a lot of things, but he's going to go back and forth between these two big ideas. Jesus is, and we are to be loving, okay? So starting in verse 11, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because of his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Messiah laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence because God, before God, and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. And this is his command, to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded. So there's those two ideas together. The one who keeps God's commandments lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now, chapter four, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into this world. This is how we recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Messiah has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. So now he's talking about what we believe about Jesus. Jesus is. Verse four, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Let me repeat that again. The one that is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows listens to us and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. 
Now he goes back to love. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And so last week with Gene and this week with me and the next week with Gabe, we're spending a ton of time talking about God's love for us and our love for one another. But John's repeating it, and it needs repeated here because love is a battle. It is very, very difficult. And what we believe about Jesus has everything to do with the way that we interact in the world, even with people that hate us. And so here are the four things I want you to see today as we go through the passage. First, first of all, love is a battle. It's not easy. It's not done in word. It's done with our actions. So it's difficult. It's difficult because there are enemies. It's difficult because at times we have hate in our heart. It's difficult because sometimes we're victims of other people's hate. It's difficult. Number two, redeeming love becomes the new theme. It's the way that we actually respond to this battle. It's the redeeming love, which is a certain type of love. Number three, there are spirits working against this kind of love in the world. And number four, all it takes is one spirit to help us with this battle to be loving. There are many spirits working against it, but there's one spirit working for it. So we'll go through these. So first of all, love is a battle. It's a battle between love and hate. It's a battle between love and indifference. It's a battle between love and, and contempt that we might have towards other people. You see, the first Christians uh, were just like us. They had people that opposed them. They had their own prejudice. They had their own struggles. They had their own stories, their own stories of division. And they're now being confronted with this reality that if you really, really want to understand who Jesus is, that will be expressed. And you will learn that even by the way you treat other people. Now, in ancient times, there wasn't the kind of agreed on, at least publicly agreed on, virtue of love. People loved their groups. They loved the people in their city. They loved their race. And it was actually popular to have um, defined enemies during this time. This is part of what it meant to build an identity. We are not those people. Now, we're not so different, but today in our world, love is held up as this ultimate virtue, yet many people don't even understand what it is. We think love is simply the answer to every problem, yet we're not willing to actually act in a loving way to fix any of the problems that are occurring. John's writing to a group of people who are being hated, and he says, love one another. Love those that are hating you. Most of us have never experienced hate because of our faith. We live in a very uh, polite world, an open world. We've never been hated because of our faith. But we know what it's like to be hated for certain things, right? Politics is always the great example of this. I don't think there's a person in this room that has not experienced hate from someone else because of their political views. It's just a part of our culture today. So we know what it's like to be hated by someone because of what we think and believe how we act. John is saying, you will be hated. Love one another. Love your enemies. Blessed are the peacemakers, quoting Jesus, for they will be called children of God. So John's warning here, he said, you will be hated, and at, in that moment, there's the battle. You are willing at that moment to give away this great tool that God uses to change the world, which is called redeeming love. And he connects it to a very, very old story from the past, the story of Cain and Abel. Now, many of you know the story. Cain and Abel were the first sons. It's the first sibling rivalry. It was the first murder. It was the first sin of violence. One person against another, Cain killed his brother Abel. 
And it's easy to look at Cain and say, Cain's the, a terrible person because he did a terrible thing. But why is it the story is told? Think of Cain for a moment. Cain did not grow up with a family system of prejudice or hate or violence. Cain, on a daily basis, was more connected to the living God than many of us are. We see God actually walking and talking with him. God actually shows up to Cain and gives him a warning. He says, be careful. Sin is crouching at your door. I would love God to warn me about the things that I'm doing that are going to lead to serious suffering later on. That would be wonderful. My point is, Cain was close to God, yet he was vulnerable to hate. It wasn't just this great big dysfunctional family. In fact, his family in many ways might have been more healthy than any family we've ever been born into. He might have had a better picture of what love is. Yet Cain was vulnerable to hate. If Cain is vulnerable to hate, John says, beware. Because hate leads to hate. In this moment, people are hating them. He said, be careful. This is the beginning of unforgiveness and contempt and and bitterness and darkness, and even just having a cynical uh, view of other people. He said, this is the beginning. You're all vulnerable to this. There's enough darkness to go around in the world, and the thing about darkness is darkness usually leads to more darkness unless it's overcome by a certain type of light. And John is giving warning, be careful. Be careful. And then he keeps reminding us, you can't separate the way you think and treat other people from what God has done for you. You can't separate them. Every time hate comes, we should be confronted with the love of God. And so then he moves on. He says, you're vulnerable. Be careful not to hate. What are we to do? We're to love. And it's a certain type of love. It's the redeeming love of Jesus. This is not just sentimental love. This is just not a love that's just tolerant. So here's an important thing for us to think about today as modern people. What is love? The Bible describes love as a, in a very uh, particular type of way. It's redeeming love. You get to verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus, Messiah, laid down his life for us. This is a sacrificing love, a selfless love, a love that's willing to actually suffer on behalf of someone else. In that documentary I mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. King's daughter is there in one of the interviews. And speaking of redeeming love, she says, it's unearned suffering that opens up new possibilities for love. Redeeming love is like unearned suffering on behalf of someone else for maybe something you didn't cause. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, unearned suffering. She she repeated a quote her father often said, and that is that you can love the hate out of a person. So love is much more than just polite words or sentiment or non-judgment. And this is the difficult world that we live in today because love has been um, brought down to simply just saying, you can't say things that offend me. So this is where it gets difficult. Let me give you an example. Last month, uh, Elise and I were on a board call for our children's school. I won't use the name of the school. And uh, it was a, it was a um, let's just call it a lively board meeting taking place over Zoom about what we're teaching our kids regarding sexuality, gender, all of those things. 
And our view as a family is that this is a public school and there are differing views about these things. And we are fine with our sons hearing many different things. This is the Carlucci family view. We were not pushing for some old-fashioned policy regarding sexuality. We believe that the, the, the old policy from 1998, it was appropriate for it to be updated today. After all, our kids go to a public school in Boulder Valley. We were fine with all of that. All we wanted to say as parents is that we want to be notified and we want, to be, uh, we want to know what it is that our children are learning and when they're learning it so that as parents we can talk about it. So what happened though during the debate is there were people on different sides battling to silence the other side. No, no, no. We have the right view of what children should, should believe or think or be taught. Therefore, the rest of you get quiet. And then the other group said, no, 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 we have the right way to think. The rest of you should be, get, be quiet. And so it turned into a thing about, no, we're loving. No, you're hateful. And so the debate, the battle of love and hate became a, a battle, or uh, I should say it this way, the battle about what's best to teach our children and differing opinions about this important issue became an issue about love and hate. It's very confusing. Luckily, the, it, it stayed pretty calm. Um, parents were included. I think they made a good decision around the policy. But isn't this thing happening all the time? If we don't agree with one another, we're being hateful and not loving. Love is greater than that. Love lays down its life for the person it disagrees with. Love is willing to cause you to suffer on behalf of someone that's saying that you're the hateful one. It goes that far. This is an incredible challenge. That's why love's a battle. Because not only are we dealing with hate all the time in ourselves and with other people, but now there's tremendous confusion in our culture today about what love is. The type of love God uses to redeem the world is a type of love that lays down its life. It's unearned suffering. It's a type of love that creates possibilities. It's the type of love that advocates for people who are even think, advocating for something different than you. I had no problem that night saying, hey, I'm fine with different things being taught that our family does not agree with. I think all of these things should be shared with here. So love is a battle, and the type of love that we fight with is a redeeming love. Now, here's where, here's where the passage gets unique. John then starts to talk about something that's not new to us. Love is a battle. But he said, there are many spirits, many prophets, many teachers in this world who are false. And they're false in two regards. First of all, they're false that they're saying that Jesus wasn't really a man, that Jesus wasn't really God, that Jesus really didn't hang on a cross and then defeat a grave. There are people saying that all of these things couldn't be true. Remember the, the whole uh, heresy of dualism that John's trying to deal with here? Jesus could not be both God and man at the same time. The spirit is good, the body is bad. See, all of these things undermine the message of Jesus and the gospel because Jesus was an innocent person who suffered for us. There are many spirits that speak against that, but there are many spirits that also speak against the message of redeeming love. There are many voices, there are many teachers. It's insidious. You don't even know that you're in the middle of this message that say, no, 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 you divide, you hate. 
You hold bitterness in your heart. You silence those that think different than you. You don't work towards friendship. There are many spirits speaking to this. There's many spirits reinforcing that side of the battle, which is divisive. Now, let me ask you this question. What, if you were to make a list of the many spirits leading us towards division and hate in the world, what would you have on that list? I might have the news on that list. Not might, I would. I might have some of our political leaders on that list. I might have spiritual leaders on that list. I might have certain types of churches on that list. I myself might be on that list at times. Hate sells. There are many voices. Here's another question. How much of your day, your week, is filled with those voices? How consumed are we in this divisive talk? And winning and losing. And shunning people or just writing them off. How much of our week is filled with those things? John is saying, hey, hate's a part of life. It's unfortunate. Blessed are the peacemakers, though. The beautiful thing about the message of Jesus when it comes to peacemaking is he moves through hostility, right? He doesn't ignore it. He moves through it. There are many spirits that wish to divide. But there is one spirit that wishes to help us love. So all those voices, all those spirits are powerful. They're working against the love of God. They are loud. They are consistent. They are steady. They are overwhelming. There's even an allure to this divisive spirit, this hateful uh, way of living in this world. It's enticing to us. It gives us something. This is one of the things we have to admit if you really want to move towards being a loving person, is we have to admit there's something in us that likes to talk about people, that likes to stay angry, that likes to get even. There's something in us. It's enticing. It's attractive to us. We love, trust, and, and, and serve these other voices, these other spirits, these other, these other messages all the time. It's a tsunami. It's like just overwhelming movement against love that we live in this world, that we deal with in this world. And you know what? It is insidious. Something that's insidious is something that has a gradual, cumulative effect. It's something that's seductive and becomes well-established before it's even apparent to the person. Being not loving, bitter, not forgiving, even having hate in our heart, it's an insidious part of our lives in our heart. Okay, so there's these many voices coming at us all the time. But here's the good news. But there is one voice there is one spirit that is greater than all the others. There is one spirit that's enough to empower forgiveness and love and the kind of actions that we heard about from Daryl Davis. There's incredible stories. 
There's one spirit that allows people who disagree about a policy that's taking place at the school to continue to live in relationships with love and to move towards other people. There's one spirit that's more powerful than all those other powerful spirits. There is one. Verse four, you dear dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Now, let me tell you how I've used that passage before in the past. And I don't think this was inappropriate, but I, I wasn't using the context. I would use this passage to assure Christians that although there are, there, are, there are evil spirits in this world and there's a spiritual battle that's taking place around us, I used it to assure them that the spirit that is in us is greater, and so we're safe and we're protected by God. All of those things are certainly true. Many years ago, we, we led a spiritual history tour of Boulder. Many of you know Boulder has a very um, colorful spiritual history. We have uh, a long history of Jewish faith, of New Age faith, of Buddhist faith, of Christian faith in the city. It's all been mixed together. You have some churches now that pull all of those together so you don't even know what's taking place there. I mean, we have a very colorful spiritual history. And so we took a tour and we were looking through all of that. And we got to this one place and in this one building, I won't use the name, there were shrines and idols and certain images that were making certain people feel uncomfortable. And and that's because there's a sensitivity that comes with our spirit when we're around things that are other than God, that are honoring false gods, or even there might be spiritual darkness associated with some of these things. And so we were nervous. And I use this verse to assure everyone, he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. And that's absolutely true. But the reason I read you this really long passage so that we could focus in on this one verse is so that you could see the context for he that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. It's in the context of the battle to love other people. Yes, he that is within us is greater than he that's in the world means many different things. It's assuring, it it gives us safety. But what that is saying is that it is absolutely possible to live a different way than what those many other voices and spirits are trying to get us to live. He that is in us is greater than he that's in the world means that it is possible to live a life of redeeming love. It is possible. It is possible to forgive your spouse. It's possible to love an enemy. It's possible for a culture divided by politics to find each other again. It's possible for friendships that have ended because there's differing opinions about COVID. It's possible for them to love one another again. It's possible. Why? He that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. It's meant to be empowering about love. Not just assuring, not just to give us safety. There's a story in the book of 2 Kings that illustrates what an incredible gift this is, the spirit that is in us. Elisha is in the middle of advising the northern kingdom of Israel in a war that they're in with the nation of Syria. And Elisha is a prophet, and God has been sharing with Elisha the secrets of what's taking place with the Syrian army. And so um, they're always one step ahead, and they keep winning these battles. Well, Syria finds out that Elisha is speaking on behalf of God, sharing the secret knowledge. And so the nation of Syria and their army, they go after Elisha. And so they find him in his little town, 
And one morning he wakes up. It's actually his servant that wakes up. And he looks out past the city and there are thousands of soldiers and chariots. A massive army has surrounded his, his little town all to get Elisha. And the servant runs back to Elisha and he tells him what he sees, this great multitude army that is standing against him. And he asks him, what are we going to do? And this is Elisha's response. He says, do not be afraid. There are more with us than are with them. There are more with us than there are with them. And then Elisha prays that his servant would see what's taking place in the spiritual around. And he looks up in the mountains and he sees thousands of soldiers and horses and chariots of fire. He that is with us is greater than those that are against us. What if every time we get to that place where it's just like, man, I, I wanna hurt this person, I wanna get even. I want to silence them. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to move towards that person in reconciliation, which, by the way, is a whole other step of love. That's incredibly difficult. Peacemaking is very hard. What if every time we got to that place, we're like, it's really, really hard. What if the image of the great multitude armies that stood with Elisha pop up in our head? There's more with us than against us. Well, what is that power meant to do? That power is meant to help us in that moment to step into the place and to be like Jesus. Even go to the place where the innocent would be willing to suffer on behalf of someone else. See, this is the challenge. This is the simple message of 1 John. Can you love? Will you love? And here's what it takes to actually love one another. If you answer the question, yes, I want to be loving. Let me close with this. I just want to be honest for a moment. When I share messages like this or um, I just even read the words of Jesus, listen to the peacemakers or the words of John here, first of all, I'm inspired. I'm like, this is an amazing thing. You hear stories of people like Martin Luther King Jr. Or, or different people that were peacemakers in history and they inspire us, right? Because they refuse to fight hate with hate. And it's inspiring because we know how hard that is. And so I feel inspired when I hear this kind of thing. And I'm also very, very grateful that God loves me with this kind of love. I love that he doesn't keep records of wrongs. I love that he doesn't get even. Even though I may act like an enemy towards him at times, he never treats me like one. And he even goes further than that. He continues to move towards me even in my dysfunction. Even when I'm not loving him, he moves towards me. He never turns his back. So I'm grateful for that. But if I'm honest, there's a part of Jesus that actually offends me. And that part is the part that wants to get even and to stay bitter and to put my enemies in their place. So I actually don't feel like there's going to be any real growth in the American church that really right now struggles with loving our enemies and peacemaking unless we admit that it's actually really hard for us to do this. There's something insidious inside that needs to be transformed and healed so that we might live different. And so today, I've got a convicting message, which is, are you ready to go beyond that? 
And maybe right now the, the first step is just to admit that we, have a whole, we hold a whole lot of darkness and hate and bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. And we just need to ask God to help heal us because he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. And so what I'd like to do as we close, I want to give us a little extra time to pray. So let's go to the quiet place of prayer. And I want to just give you a moment to listen to the Lord. And as we start, I want you to think of all the different ways in your life God has blessed you. I want you to think of all the different ways God has resourced you, how he helps you. I want you to think of all the things that he's for that are a part of your life, the things that he supports. But now I want you to hear the words of John in its context. He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. God resources, he supports, he blesses your movement, your loving movement towards those that even hate you. Towards, towards those you would call an enemy. Towards those you've written off. Towards those who have hurt you. The greatest power in the universe lives in you and he is supporting your loving movement, redeeming love. Let him fill you with the vision of peacemaking. Let him fill you with the vision of reconciliation. Don't ask how you can do it. Ask God to do it through you. Spirit's in the room right now, moving. He's expressing himself in one of his greatest works, which is moving in us to love. I don't know what God is saying specifically to you, but I do know this about him, that he often asks us to take steps of obedience. That we don't just have a spiritual moment where we're with him, but there's actually now action. Because Jesus is, we are to love. And so ask him for the step that needs to be taken this week. The phone call that needs to happen the letter that needs to be written, the forgiveness that needs to be asked for, the forgiveness that needs to be extended. We do not love with sentiment or just with word, but in action. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for a simple message. Because Jesus is, we are to live like sons and daughters and we're to love especially when it's difficult. 
Keep us in a humble spot, God. Our church has grown a ton in the last several months around peacemaking, and I think it's because you've convinced us that we need some help, that we're not very good at it. So keep us humble. And that's how we come today. We need your help. And thank you that it's true that he that is in us is greater than he that's in the world. Father, bring about that life. Empower us. Make it possible. We thank you for your help. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.